Everybody, welcome to Side Talks. I am not here with Corey today. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Sorry, so you can turn the radio off now because I know you're like, oh, wait, that sounds so antiquated. Is it a radio? I don't think so. Uh, it's it's like probably a phone, their computer. The computer, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. You can shut down your, your AirPods. That's right. Anyway, who's this talking? This is me. I'm Charlie Brown, (laughs) co-programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. Uh, Taking the place of Corey today. Welcome to Side Talks. You. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. So it is time for a five-minute fight. Five-minute fight. Which this one's going to be weird because, Charlie, you and I generally agree. I mean... You know, we disagree on some things, but, like, we don't disagree like Corey and I disagree. Not like you and Corey. No, no, no. And this one's kind of funny because um, I don't even know if we totally disagree or not. We'll just see. Let's find out. Yeah, we're a little we're a little more civil than, than Corey and I. Yeah. So, anyway, let's start the timer. Got it? Got we're, it. What are we arguing about? So, I just want to talk to you real quick about how Johnny Depp has totally just gone off his freaking rocker and he cannot act anymore unless he's portraying his role as Hunter S. Thompson in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I'm talking any film script or any film role he takes or any interview he does or just grocery store pictures walking around. That's what he looks like now. And it's just really unfortunate because he's just turned into a terrible human being because of it. Yeah, he's definitely taken another form. So this is where I can't argue with you, really. But I will go pro Johnny Depp for A, for the sake of having an argument, and B, because uh, I don't because he was at Night on Elm Street. So, I mean, I understand you're coming at this like... This is why I picked it, because I knew you would bring this up. Okay. And I knew you would say that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so here's the other thing. I appreciate the fact that he approaches Pirates of the Caribbean, which I know you're talking about new Johnny Depp, but like we... Oh, we, I'm talking about Pirates of the Caribbean as well. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I like the fact that he approaches this as if he's, like he said, like Pepe Le Pew meets uh, Keith Richards. I think that that's awesome. I like I like that about that about that role. He's done so many better things as an actor, like What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It's amazing, right? Yeah, like he's what, good in that. Yeah, but what I'm saying is even the, the latest film he did um, where he, he played Whitey Bulger, he, he did a good job in that movie as an actor. But why is it that he can't do that any other time that he's got to do action, movement, anything with his hands? I'm doing it right now. You can't <laughs> see it. He plays guitar, right? Yeah, he's you in can that, really, that band. What is the band? The like super group? They play the Viper Room. I don't know. <laughs> they definitely play the Viper Room. <laughs> I don't know who. It, I don't know what their name is, but but I mean, we're talking about somebody who was so good. I mean, just such a great actor. And then all of a sudden, what happened to this guy? God, I can't argue. See what I'm saying? I cannot argue this. But he what? Like he just started approach. Like I, the only thing I will argue with you here is that I like when he started approaching stuff in this really weird way. When he was like, "I'm going to do Sleepy Hollow and I'm going to play it like Angela Lansbury." Like, I like that. You're coming and saying that you don't like it. I'm actually, I'm saying that he has not allowed himself to explore other avenues of acting <laughs> since doing one solitary, single, amazing role in Fear and Loathing, which is great. It's just, I don't think Hunter S. Thompson would be happy about the fact that he's just acting like Hunter S. Thompson in every single movie. I don't know. I, I think it's strange. I just find it very odd that he could be better. He could be a lot better. I agree. I agree. Oh my gosh, this is the worst argument ever because it's not really an argument. But here's the question: Do we do we raise Johnny Depp up as being one of the great actors of our time, or did he ruin it around the time that you know he played Hunter S. Thompson? I, like I say, I think that um, he's terrible now. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I have to throw out a lot of the the bathwater and most of the baby. 
I, I don't know. Okay, let me get let me kind of go strong with this. Let me let me take a different approach. Let's hear it. Okay, do you remember when Chris Crocker like came to Britney Spears' defense? No. Well, he did. He was like he's like a performance artist, and he was like he's the one who was like leave Britney alone oh, and cried. Okay, okay. But then when she was like accused of ha- doing a hit and run, he like called a press conference and he was like let Britney hit and run. Like right. let her hit and run because she is an she is like an American treasure. So Johnny Depp should be allowed to get away with Johnny terrible Depp should be acting. Allowed. He was in Nightmare on Elm Street because he was in, in Cry he Baby was, and he was on Twenty One Jump Street. He's he was white hot, you know, like he wore the little half shirt and and Nightmare on Elm Street. Let him hit and run. Boy, it's just we're talking <laughs> we're talking perhaps longer from 1998 when he starred in Fear and Loathing until now. I know. Then when I'm he not was good. Win. So yeah, just I want to keep with the trend of Corey's winning. I'm trying. I'm in Corey's corner here. Uh, I, there is definitely a trend of Corey winning, which is total bullshit. Corey always wins. But uh, he always. What's up with that? I don't anyway, know. let's not get derailed here. Um, I am going to say that Johnny Depp is. We're going to hold up. I think we should hold him to the great performances that he had, and I will include some of the ones that you are not including. Like I will include Pirates. I will include um, wow. Sleepy Hollow. Wow. I think that those are. Go- I think those are good, and I think he's enjoyable and watchable in those. And I think we should allow him, like Brittany, like we allow her to hit and run. I think we should allow him to be, you know, to be Johnny Depp. Let him, let Johnny Depp be Johnny Depp, except when he's a wife beater. And that's the problem too, is like the personal life shit is part of what's, I think, grossed everybody out, Absolutely. Right? No, that's, that's the exact reason why I took this stance. I know. And, and, and I can't argue that because, I mean, it seems like all, I mean, I don't, who but knows? But it's not where it started. It started with his acting. And it's just, that's like, <laughs> that's like layered icing on top of this ridiculously layered Wait, cake. the domestic abuse is layered icing? Yeah, is that I, what you're I'm, saying? Say, I'm saying if we're only talking about his acting, excuse, no, 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 let's back, let's backtrack a second. Yeah, yeah. If if we're on a foundation of... Oh. Okay. Um, Sam, we're going to make you call it even though it's clear. I also really deeply resent the fact that Corey wins all the time because I think I'm not, I think it's not fair. If there's an option here and a time for, for Corey to win, I mean, to lose, it would be now, but I just don't think that I don't think that Rachel brought it. I didn't really bring it. Okay. And what was possibly the the most heated debate we've ever had on this podcast, um, I'm going to say I agree with Charlie that he can really only do his Hunter S. Thompson slash Jack Sparrow stick now. And that's really the most only enjoyable thing he can do. And I think I'm going to... I'm going to give Rachel some bonus points for trying to be Johnny Depp's personal Chris Crocker, but I don't think anyone else should be doing that. Uh, We should definitely hold him to the same standard as other uh, um, fallen filmmakers slash actors of the Me Me Too era. And so, yeah, Charlie absolutely wins this. Not just because he's in Corey's position, but... Oh my gosh! I I mean I can't argue with this. Sounds good to me. Yeah. It's it's it was a win. I knew it was a it win was a from win. the start. Uh, what can you do? And now a look at what we're watching this week. So Charlie, I know you're not normally across the table from me, but what we do now is what we're watching, which is where we just talk about a little bit about what we're watching, just very briefly. And so, what have you seen lately that you think's worthy of uh, of somebody's time? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, okay, so recently Netflix has released the fifth season of Narcos. Okay. And um, episodic. I, it's an episodic. It's not a film, um, but it's it's amazing production value and it's got some really insanely dicey history about how the production happened um 
like specifically uh, there was a scout that was killed in Mexico for season four. Yeah. Um, I read about that and it turned out that he Holy was shit. in the wrong place at the wrong time and was totally alone and did not tell anyone what he was doing. Don't ever do that. Yeah. If you're on production. Point being, this is season five and um, there is just the most insane violence going on in this in this thing to the point of like Roger Rabbit looking violence in, in reality. Like like they're they're shooting people, running over people with bulldozers mm-hmm. and flat and it, it was just it was insane. It's like Faces of Death. Kind of like that, yeah, but about, you know, Narcos and um, in Mexico. And I don't know, I, I'm a huge fan, and I've actually begun rewatching the original series because I, I watched season five in like a day. Damn. Binge it up. I did. Well, I am coming to you. Let me actually open the store real quick and uh, just yeah. drag what are, out what this, are you watching? this giant bag of shit that I'm just dragging through the door, Whoa. Um, which just wait for this, okay? Let me start out by saying on a plane... I watched the first 30 minutes of Joker and the first 30 minutes of Judy. And those are definitely in that bag of shit. Back to back. Back to back. I mean, I went, I got 30 minutes into both of them and was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah, they're both. I mean, just absolutely. I mean, I know people out there are like, you gotta like Joker. And I get it. I get I don't it. Know why. I get it. Well, I don't either. And like, it's, it's so weird how. I'm not even the person that says this, but, like, how are people not, like, checking the privilege of this situation? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so weird. It's so, like, white boy crybaby. Am I wrong? I mean, okay, I say this only 30 minutes in. You're just smiling at me. You're not going to even go there. Because, no, that movie is just god awful. <laughs> it's just it's just the worst thing ever. And, like, I don't know why anyone liked it. And I was so it's frustrated weird. last year. Yeah. Hey, everybody here, let me sum it up for you, okay? The things that people like about it. Mental illness is a situation in this country. Like me- mental illness and healthcare related mental, we we get it. We don't need a shit movie that's written by that's. I mean, okay, let me not go straight for the scriptwriter, but it feels like something that would have been written in like intro, like your second semester of intro to script writing. I just think if there wasn't a legion of fans ready to yeah just do, eat anything up that was Batman, Joker, comic book related, it that movie would have gone bye bye very quickly. I agree. But let me, and same with, actually same with Judy. It just feels so sophomorically written. But let me pause that because I know that I'm already alienating a bunch of people by just, first of all, saying I only watch 30 minutes of these films and I'm going at them. Um, And so that's really not fair. I acknowledge that. But uh, what I did watch all the way through, ironically, in comparison to both of these, is a film called Madonna and the Breakfast Club that's on Netflix. Okay. So I'm down in South Florida with some friends of mine. Um to help one of them make a film and one and my friend becca's like we've got to you we have to watch this really terrible film she's got good suggestions yeah, she, yeah. becca always has good suggestions like we'd watch this really terrible film that is about like the early days of madonna and it's literally like madonna's ex-boyfriend just dishing Whoa. and still scorned like still mad about his relationship with madonna that happened like pre-fame Madonna. I'm going to be watching this tonight. It's so terrible. They've also, though, gone out and handpicked a woman who looks so much like young Madonna that it is eerie. Creepy. Like, that part is... It's like, whoa, this is so crazy. But, I mean, just imagine... Just imagine ex of yours. No. To Please. Please. Just <laughs> okay, bear, with me, bear with sure, me. Bear with me. Sure, sure. Okay. Just imagine an ex of yours. Okay. Like, ten years from now, mm-hmm. sitting down and just telling every detail of your relationship 
And he's also has voiced, this is so unethical. He has recorded her at some point, which I don't know how. Oh. And yeah, so he has like audio recordings that are that feel very intimate. It's just like we could, I couldn't stop watching it. I'm wrong for this, I know, but it is so, it's so poorly constructed and so bad and so inappropriate. Well, it sounds way um, better than Joker. It's way better than Joker, than the first 30 minutes of Joker. Mm. So anyway, it's, uh, I watch that and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, but it's just ima- just ima- just picture that happening in your life right. and just having some and it literally to the point where it starts out with like Charlie was born on this street <laughs> <laughs> but being recounted from an ex no I negative know. oh it's so bad anyway that's what i've been watching and now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders the 3rd to the studio for his segment film history minute with Charlie Brown Today, I'd like to talk about Total Recall. In 1976, novice screenwriters Ronald Shusset and Dan O'Banion set out to adapt Philip K. Dick's science fiction story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, into a movie called Total Recall. But they ran into problems trying to figure out how the story's special effects could be captured on camera. To distract themselves, they shelved the script to work on another project. Eventually, after more than 40 revisions, Their script for Total Recall was finished and landed in the hands of legendary producer Dino De Laurentiis. Dino's choice for the film's hero, Douglas Quaid, originally named Quail, was Richard Dreyfuss, who matched the character's description from the original story, a schlubby office drone who dreams of a more exciting life. When director David Cronenberg came aboard, he wanted the hero to be a bit more macho and suggested Patrick Swayze or William Hurt. But that was as far as Dino would go to change the character. So when Arnold Schwarzenegger expressed interest in the part, Dino turned him down flat. But Arnold had the last laugh when Dino's production company filed for bankruptcy. The movie star convinced Carlocco Pictures, who had produced his film Red Heat, to purchase the rights to Total Recall. In addition to the role of Quaid, Arnold got authority over all creative aspects of the film, script, production, and distribution. His first move was to change the character of Quaid into a muscular construction worker. He thought making a powerful man vulnerable by having his mind stolen improved the story. Arnold wanted Paul Verhoeven to direct after being impressed with his work on Robocop. Verhoeven loved the script, but suggested giving the film more of a scientific basis to balance the mind games with action. His changes suited the star just fine. Arnold was first attracted to the film because of his interest in virtual travel. The scene where a salesman sells him the trip he never took was one of his favorite scenes. The two also made dramatic changes to the film's ending, which caused screenwriter Dan O'Banion to quit the production in protest. Verhoeven brought aboard his special effects supervisor from Robocop, Rob Botton. Although the two had vowed to never work together again, the success of Robocop had healed all wounds, and Botton was given complete creative freedom. For the character of Quato, whose name is from the Spanish word twin, He built a puppet that required 15 puppeteers to control it. Verhoeven said it looked so real that people often asked if Eric Marshall Bell was a semi-born Siamese twin or just a real freak. Production on the film was massive, involving a crew of 545 sets that tied up eight sound stages for six months. At the time, Total Recall was the second most expensive film in history, next to Rambo 3. It was also one of the last blockbusters to make large-scale use of miniature effects as opposed to CGI, although attempts were made to use CGI, but the software didn't work as planned. 
location shooting took place in Mexico City. Chosen for its modern architecture, which could evoke El Paso in 2048 and the planet of Mars, a memorable sequence where Quaid escapes his pursuers in a futuristic train station was filmed using the Mexico City's actual public transportation system. While in Mexico, both cast and crew became ill from food poisoning, with the exception of Arnold and screenwriter Shushet. Arnold escaped because he had his food catered from the U.S. He had learned his lesson three years earlier when he became ill from drinking Mexican tap water during the production of Predator. As for Shusset, he took extreme health precautions such as brushing his teeth with bottled water and getting a weekly vitamin B12 shot. He had been mocked by the crew until they all got sick themselves. Verhoeven was in such bad shape from food poisoning, an ambulance was brought on set, allowing paramedics to administer fluids and medication between takes so that he could keep directing. The original cut of the movie was given an X rating by the MPAA for excessive violence. After re-editing, Total Recall was released as an R-rated film. TriStar Pictures, however, wasn't sure what to do with it. The lackluster trailer they released to theaters angered Arnold, who thought it didn't convey the movie's scope and weirdness. He confronted producers Peter Guber and John Peters, who agreed to create a new trailer. Arnold was also dissatisfied with the marketing efforts and convinced Carolco to invest more and more money until everyone had heard of Total Recall. Coincide with the movie's release, Sharon Stone, cast as Arnold's wife, posed nude for Playboy to show off the buff body she had developed from pumping iron to prepare for the role. Arnold was so impressed with Stone's dedication to training that he dubbed her the female Terminator, and she was inducted into the Stunt Woman Association as an honorary member. Stone's performance in Total Recall would earn her a role in Verhoeven's next film, Basic Instinct, due to her skill at playing a character that could change from a timid sweetheart to a diabolical villain and back again at a moment's notice. Verhoeven noted, this is the way Sharon Stone is in real life, too. And remember that project that screenwriter O'Banion and Shusset used to distract themselves while working on Total Recall's script? That little distraction would become the movie Alien, which was inspired by O'Banion's bout with Crohn's disease. But that's a story for another time. What up? So in 2019, we interviewed a lot of people who brought their films to the Sidewalk Film Festival. And we have a interview right now from Bridget Wheeler, who's interviewing Carolina and Teddy, who brought Queen of Lapa, a really fantastic film, takes place in South America. And we're really happy to have it. And so here it is. Hello, guys. I'm Bridget Wheeler. I am the Senior Programmer and Director of Operations for Indie Memphis Film Festival in Memphis, Tennessee. And I, it was nice that uh, Rachel Morgan, the Creative Director here at Sidewalk, asked me to conduct some interviews with filmmakers that have got films throughout this weekend at Sidewalk Film Festival. Um, so right now I've got two incredible filmmakers, also personal friends of mine, so I'm very excited about this. So um, who are you guys? Hi, Bridget. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Carolina Muneha, and I am the director, co-director for Queen of Lapa. And I'm Teddy Coladas, and I'm the co-director of Queen of Lapa. Excellent. So Queen of Lapa, let's start there. I know you guys have a couple films in the festival, but this one, uh, it's a feature-length documentary. Um, it is playing in the Shout Track uh, program programming throughout this festival. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Queen of Lapa? Yeah. So... <laughs> I grew up in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, mm-hmm. and um, Teddy, my husband, has been going to Brazil for a while to visit family. And where I live is near this neighborhood called Lapa. 
And mm-hmm. in Lapa is really the mecca of where the transsex workers are outside working. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to where my mom lives, which is near the neighborhood, around 6 p.m. at night, you start seeing all the transsex workers outside. And they are in this scandalous, you know, outfits, basically naked. And no one cares because we are so used to it. So you have little kids coming back from school that just, you know, as if there was like a little, some other person there mm-hmm. that is dressed on a suit. And Teddy thought that that was a very interesting um, thing to, to witness, right? Sure. Like little kids and then transsex workers. And he's like, oh, I really want to do some kind of photography work with them because he was there taking pictures and doing some photos of uh, the streets of Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been shooting Rio for years and just compiling like hundreds of photos. And mm-hmm. um, what really interests me is just like how integrated they are in the community. It's not like a weird thing, like she was right. saying. And you know, just I'm as like, in, you know, <laughs> where we are right now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be right a little controversial in the states for sure. Yeah. So I mean, that was sort of a beautiful thing in a weird way. Yeah. Um, so, and as an outsider, it just struck me. And then in talking to her family, we learned that her father had, you know, worked with the community and with, like, the neighborhood community and just working out kind of a situation where they can they can work there. Yeah, and because it wasn't always like that. So, right. like, we were a dictatorship until 1984. Mm-hmm. So even after the dictatorship, when I was, like, a little kid, I remember having... Um, this moment where the trans sex workers in Brazil were trying to denounce their citizenship as Brazilians because they were getting murdered, they were getting arrested, Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of violence against them. And that neighborhood was trying to kick them out of the streets. And my dad, being part of the neighborhood association, really was someone instrumental in making sure that they could stay and they could be there. They were doing no harm. So I really remember that. But it's something like... It's, you know, it's just something that who you are and you don't think about it. So I think me seeing it as an outsider just brought it up because like not even like her dad would talk about that at all because it happened so long ago. So there's a central character to the story here. Um, So why don't you tell uh, these listeners a little about who this central character is and how you came about convincing her that, you know, you wanted to document document her story because it's really a a beautiful one. Yeah, I mean... The word convincing is weird, but because it was natural. Sure. But we learned about Luana and Luana's story in this hostel that existed. And so we just threw like six degrees of separation, mm-hmm. got her address and went there and with a book of my photography. And Carol wrote this really sweet well, note. We did try to talk to her and she did not want to talk yeah. to us because okay. there are so many other producers, filmmakers that have tried to do things with her, like big, big companies, and they always go more to the realm of exploitation. And, Absolutely. And she understands there. She's and sick real of quick, it. so our, the listeners have a frame of reference for who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, give us a little context on who she is and what made her so, yeah. um, made, made her story so interesting. Yeah, so she started transitioning at the age of nine, and mm-hmm. by the age of 11, she was um, a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, she was growing up during the dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So she was seeing a lot of her peers be murdered all the time. Um, horrible things have happened to her. She has been um, tied to a phone pole naked and people were throwing feces at her and, and urine. And from that, she really became an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, she spent a little time in Europe, came back and decided to create an organization to support the trans community that are doing sex work. So 
she then created this beautiful home, this hostel, mm-hmm. where 32 trans sex workers live. And if you live there, you have to follow Luana's rules. So she's really big into no drugs, safe sex. She also has made um, uh, sex work an occupation in mm-hmm. Brazil. So she's really an activist, so they can't get arrested. Right. And what she created really is a camaraderie between um, that community where they look out after each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in other places, in other cities, if there is someone in danger, um, no one really cares and just let them right. dare to die. And that doesn't happen with Luana's watch. All of her girls look after each other. They want to be healthy. They have goals. She's very goal-oriented. Right. So she created this beautiful community where they're very proud to do what they do, to be who they are. And Luana supports them in creating, you know, a normal life. Right. And mentors them. them and, like, even builds relationships in the communities of, like, banking and, you know, like, medical and even therapy and right. um, things like that. I'm like, sure these women have the resources yeah. that mm-hmm. they need and that they deserve as humans. Yeah. Um, so then what allowed her to kind of open up? So she's been approached a few times, right? And you said, talked a little bit about, you know, she's afraid of the exploitation piece, which anybody in that, I think, in that position um, would very much worry about that. So then what was it um, that kind of led to her understanding that that's not where you were coming from and then led you to document her story? So we wrote... A letter. I wrote a letter and we printed some of Taggy's photos and we bagged her doorman to, to give this to her. We gave it to him. We get to my mom's house. The phone rings and it's Lana. She's like, I read your letter. Come back. So we went back and she opens the door very much in Luana style. She had a, a towel that just fell down. So then she's topless. And <laughs> we immediately clicked and we started watching some of her um, tapes of her shows because she's really an artist too. Mm-hmm. And we were just explaining how we would approach it, that really there is no story. The story would be whatever it would be, and talking about direct cinema to her. And she, we just bonded as in a human level. Mm-hmm. So that was way back, and we said we're going to go back to the United States. And, that was like in 2012. Yeah, yeah, and look for grants so we can come back and do this. So we came back to the United States and applied to yeah. a lot of grants. Yeah, We got close, but... We got no grants. Nothing <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But ultimately, in 2016, my job was taking me to Rio for something else for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And we knew that like this is the time. You just like, have to do it. Yeah. So we borrowed equipment from friends, a camera, and some sound equipment, and just packed it up and went like to Brazil. Someone, like a friend of ours, gave us just like enough to get there. Yeah. And so we got there, even not even knowing if we would be doing it. So. so then we set up a meeting with her, and we talked to her, and she said, okay, you can shoot for one day. We're like, ooh, oh. that's going to be hard. So we went for one day. But yeah. there was a lot more than that. It was <laughs> like, sure, yeah. sure, yeah. I mean, <coughs> just, again, convinced, like, just talk, uh, I hate that word, but um, sure. talking about... Earning her trust. Just that it, we're, it, there's no agenda here at all. We're just, and that was kind of mind-blowing to her. Um, of just not having an agenda. We're just like, well, we don't know what it's going to be. And she's like, well, what's it going to be? And we're like, we have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, It's going to be what it's going to be. And she's just like, to be or not to be. And then she's <laughs> like, so, so then she invited us for one day. And it was just a great experience, even that one day. And, and she invited us back for two and then three. And then it got, she wasn't even going to be in the film. Because we were interested in like the the running of the house and just the effect on the younger generations. Because right. 
from her generation to the generation now is like this drastic shift. Yeah. So, and we're just interested in like her legacy. It didn't, and she was, didn't want to have, she's been burned so many times. Right. But the girls loved us and we just had a great time and, um, she started coming around more and then now she's calling us and then now we're hanging out and right it and then then it was like she's in everything yeah, yeah. I mean? like, we're going out to so. eat soup together we're going out to our performances and we became really really close friends like true friends yeah i mean she's just so interesting and yeah i mean she really is she's a big presence um she takes up a lot of space and in a way that's <laughs> you know you can feel it. So as somebody who watches it, who wasn't in the room, you know, recording this or interviewing her, she takes up a lot of space in a way that's like, that makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel really drawn to her mm -hmm. and even the girls around her. So really, I think, you know, kind of what she created there and what you're, you're, the context you're giving us, the viewer can really feel that, can really feel that, that dynamic. Um, there was a level of comfortability that, I found really intriguing about it that allowed me to sit more into that narrative with a lot more ease mm -hmm. um, because it just kind of starts out that way, right? Yeah, you're just plopped She in. invites you yeah. in and you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to say <laughs> yeah. no. Like, I'm along yeah. for the ride. And, and, you know, and as the, you know, as the documentary went on, I mean, it just, I mean, what, a, what an incredible experience I'm sure you guys also had and, you know, probably feel very lucky to have to have been able to be a part of that. So you said back in 2012, I find that it's really interesting, so I was gonna ask about how long it's kind of taken you to do this, because I know that you guys had mentioned this to me, you know, way back when, when you were at my festival with, with your previous feature film. Um, how long did you follow her? How long were you recording her and interviewing her? I mean, so from 2012 to 2016, I was just writing grants, and then, she had this opportunity from her job to right. go back. And so when she agreed to do it, long story short, it was a very short time because it's a hostel. Right. And so people are coming and going and we didn't know how long we'd be allowed to stay, but it kind of worked out perfectly because people just leave. So right. we would lose characters. Right. So, and just to have a kind of a unity, we thought like a short period of time. So it was like two or three weeks. Wow. And... But it was just so open that it was just like, I could have done something, just one day of footage. You yeah. Know? It's so I mean, because as the viewer, you don't necessarily have a sense of time, because I don't know, even mm -hmm. know that it's necessarily about the sense of time, but it's just, it is a snapshot of this world and of her story and this environment in which she's created that, you know, you're, you're not, could it have taken place over the course of 12 months? I would believe you if you said that. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks, that's also very surprising. It seems very, very quick, but... Yeah, you I got mean, a lot out of a very short time. And they're very open, too. We bonded on a deep level by day two. Right. We were crying together. You know, they were also making sure that we were safe. And one of our biggest fears is, I mean, Brazil is a pretty violent country. And right. people will, I always say to anyone that goes to Rio de Janeiro, it's like, you're not going to be in trouble if you don't have an iPhone out or a diamond. And here mm -hmm. we are with a big old camera. Right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. oh, God. Someone even just, just like trying to mix our patterns of like where the car drops us off because it's kind of like a small town but a big town and people know and they notice things and especially at that kind of a house sure and so it's like who are these like gringo and going <laughs> this place at a certain right. time so we would like get dropped off at different times and different 
you know, even areas and just. But they were like looking out for yeah, us. Yeah. So like we bonded so fast that they were just now like looking out for us right. and inviting us to places. And we're like, oh, is that place safe? They're like, yeah, you're with us and right. we're going to yeah, help you. Yeah. yeah. So it was. It really took maybe four hours for everybody to feel really comfortable. Yeah, I mean, once the trust with the Luana, it's like, that's it. Right. Then you're just... And you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So then what is... So I know that you guys, you've played a number of festivals so far with this film. Tell me about some of the festivals you guys have played at. And, you know, from Sidewalk on after this weekend, what are your plans for this film? Well, our international premiere is at Sheffield Dock Fest, and that was an incredible experience. Yeah, congratulations, um, by the way. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We were, you know, we went with the expectations. Like, oh my God, this is such a huge documentary film festival. No one is going to come to our screenings, and then it's like they're sold out. And oh wow, people, yeah. like, there's a line outside to get in, and people asking such different questions, mm-hmm. and um, it was really incredible. And because of that, we got. A lot of other festivals in Europe, especially like inviting to film um, mm-hmm. some sales agents. So, but we played like Maryland and Sidewalk, and mm-hmm. there's um. Well, we just got an award at oh, yeah. uh, Flickers, Flickers, Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. Congrats! And then it's going next to Scotland. to to Scotland to two and film festivals, Antina in Australia, Antenna, Australia, Antenna yeah. in Australia, and then and another place that we can't tell anyone yet in October. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're hoping to get as many people to watch it. I think it's um, you see the impact on people when they watch the film, and if anything, it carries on. Like we have had, we've been one time we we're walking on the street and someone stopped us and shared, you know, oh my god, this is so amazing. I've been googling her name all all day, and this is not a filmmaker person. So I just want as many people to watch, of yeah. course, with any no film. But and it's yeah. so intimate, right? You know, it's like. It's not the normal kind of documentary you see. No, yeah, it's, it's like not. so personal. Mm-hmm. So when people see it, they're just on a hum- human level. It's so impactful, I guess. Yeah. So then, um, do you guys have? Do you have distribution? Is something in the works? What is not yet? What are your, really? what are your <laughs> plans after the festival circuit? I what mean, do you, what do you hope? We um, hope for, for an international sales agent because okay. it is sort of a foreign film, but sure. we made it. So that's extremely important, and then obviously extremely important getting it to Brazil. Right. So and that's so has you been have challenging. Yeah. yeah. So you have you don't have any plans quite yet. Then. No, I mean we're just yeah we're navigating. Yeah. Well. It, yeah. We have been contacted by a few, and it's an interesting process to go through because someone that is great in Europe might not be great in North America, or might not be great in South America, and they America, all want everything. So. And it's new anyone us, listening too. have yeah. gone through that and wants to give us tips yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> the website is queenoflapa.com please yes. give us tips um, but yeah it would be great to also be on television I would hope like something like POV I think would be a great um, right. spot or even Netflix in Brazil would be great and yeah and really trying to show in Brazil and South America yeah really? they want the, most of these television wants a 53 minute cut yeah. So, which we're prepared to do. Yeah. It's gonna break Teddy's pre- heart apart. <laughs> but <laughs> we're prepared to be horrified. Like, great. Now yeah. we have to yeah. cut more. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, then you know. Then again, you know, Queen of Lapa. It's an excellent, excellent documentary. I cannot recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. And I know, which the few minutes we have left, I know that you guys. This is not your only film here at Sidewalk. You guys have two <laughs> other shorts. If you want to, just kind of quickly let us know the title. 
you know, quick log line that way people can, I know people are going to be interested in Queen of Lapa, but to get them more familiar with the other work, what else can they expect from you? Best of my cheats, Oh, Eddie. boy. Um, <laughs> the shorts were really just kind of like while editing Lapa, which was so intense, like mm -hmm. beyond, I mean, there'd be, I'd be tearing and then laughing and then right. like... Like heartwarmness, like that, like every other statement is a philosophical statement. Right. So I just needed to do some other projects. Mm -hmm. Like just <laughs> your pastime is to edit other things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I'm editing this. Let me yeah. edit that. <laughs> well, it's like different sides of your character. Sure. Yeah. So like the Kavanaugh hearing was going, and so confirmation bias is a short mm -hmm. about you know, that, and mm -hmm. so that kind of was an exorcism of my extreme anger mm -hmm. towards mm -hmm. that. And then the other project is more like a very lighthearted experimental documentary mm -hmm. um, where it's like these two parallel narratives of the culture conversation now. Yes. From like small town to like urban, mm -hmm. and, and that one's called uh, Not Make Dreams Your Master. I've also seen that one, and I can co-sign that that is very funny, and it is lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little breath of fresh air, um, and really interesting the way that, that you put that together with the two different narratives. Definitely recommend that for anybody who's listening. But then, one last thing. Is there anything that you guys have seen so far this weekend that you would like to recommend for those who are listening that you know probably have a little bit more longevity, if they're out traveling, or that might probably be, they can find it at theaters, or possibly even Netflix, Amazon in the near future? Whoa. Fingers crossed for that. Oh. You don't have to know everyone's <laughs> <laughs> distribution, but something that you think might um, be able to be you know available to everybody outside of what... Like a, other films, the, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. we're really looking forward to Cody Stokes' films. I'm a big fan of his cinematography, mm -hmm. and so I'm really curious about that. And um, what's the title called, that for everybody knows? I mean, it's like I forgot. It's like the, ghost. the postcard is on. The, it's like a. <laughs> we're all the, looking around like. Yeah, the ghost that travels. Something. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna. Sorry. Because we're gonna watch it tonight. Sorry, we want to make we want to make sure everybody's got recommendations to follow up on. And they are premiering their movie here, which is really oh, exciting. Great. Is there? Yeah, oh, the ghost who walks. Okay, cool. And then of course we really want to check out the death of Dick Long, Virginia. Mm -hmm. She's incredible. We yeah. love her. Newcomb, shout out. I mean, incredible performance. Saw that as well. Other film that I've been wanting to watch, you know, the festivals that we've been through, but I'm like, oh, that's gonna be on Netflix at some point in Fabric. Really wanna check the one yeah, out. Yes. Check out that that trailer yeah. is intense <laughs> for <in> Fabric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely curious. Another one, I mean, I'm curious about cat rescuers, but I know it's gonna make me cry. Yeah, we're the big and if we go tomorrow or not, because we're yeah, gonna yeah, miss right? our cats so much. Are there. we emotionally stable <laughs> yeah. enough to handle this? We live um Alabama with two rescue cats. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. I mean, I think I mean, that's a yeah. that's a good set of suggestions <laughs> for everybody. And I, of course, selfishly, I always want to know what what it, what filmmakers are watching. You know, as a programmer, I watch everything. Um, so it's nice to always have my focus honed a little bit. You know, from suggestions of. But Rick and Liz. Well, yeah, that's not at the festival. I know, but, but I mean, if you're, this is a separate film, <laughs> but this is like I think it cracked my top five. Oh. Um, yeah. Liz and Ray. I haven't heard of that. I, it's just terribly underrepresented. I mean, it's also like doing extremely well. And it's on like every festival. But yeah. this photographer, R Richard Billingham, mm -hmm. in the late 90s did a, like a snapshot aesthetic photo book of his family. Mm -hmm. And this is like a, a recreation of his family upbringing. And it's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. 
it's a good one to keep an eye out for that. The one that you watch and you leave the theater and you're like, you just have to ball and perhaps Sidewalk will bring that to their cinema and some of their year round programming for Birmingham. That would be amazing. Like like he recreates the photos that he took back then and even the actors look exactly like his mom and his dad. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's just like perfectly made. Perfectly yeah. made. That is quite the endorsement. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that is quite the endorsement. I hope they're listening to this. They're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. And um, I hope you have a great rest of the weekend. Thank you. So, Rachel, I think we did it. Corey was gone, and somehow we survived. We, we did survive. We didn't really have a great argument, though, and we couldn't do what's the shit. So we, you know. We improvised. We improvised. But I think, I, I think we did it okay. Yeah, yeah. We're on personal uh, Hemsworth brothers. <laughs> okay. Which, which, did you know there's three of them? Yes, there are. So I guess Sam is the other one. I guess so, except I'm not going to do that to Sam because I'm I would take maybe the one that was married to Miley Cyrus because he was married to Miley Cyrus so that's the one I want to be okay and my guess is you would take the other chunk of tunk one Why that's not? like handsome and look at me and then that would just get passed to, to poor Sam and oh my gosh of all the unfair lots in life that you might imagine the third Hemsworth brother is close <clears throat> to my height and looks like he was sculpted out of one of their arms <laughs> that's right and including his face so it's not good and I feel, ter- I mean, just imagine being the third. But now our Hemsworth. audience, now our audience has a visual representation of what today really did look like <laughs> in the studio. That's true. That's right. That's true. Anyway, thank you for listening to Side Talks. We're going to thank Batwell Studios, and we're going to spl- uh, thank Splash ninety six, of course, for our amazing music. And what else are we going to do? Tell people to go to the website, right? That's right at sidewalkfest.com. Bye.